Good morning. Morning. How are you doing? Oh, I love it. Good audio, good video. Sweet. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I think I got it figured out. Uh that that was a good spot though before. I like it. I like the 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 family home basement look. <laughs> I like it, and, I, and I like the and I do like the fact that you had a bunch of family over for um, the holidays. It's all it's always a good sign when someone's got the family together and they're bringing people home for the holidays. It's really nice. It's a really nice time for us. I mean, um, we're kind of spread out, um, so it's it's nice to to be able to get together. Uh, David, in, in a in a nutshell, um, I, I, w- I was raised in Berkeley, uh, California. I was raised a very political family. Um, all all uh democrats um republicans were bad people and um i started working in 2006 for a company called crossfit and the owner was a libertarian and the 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 process of crossfit is to take um kind of absolute responsibility and accountability for your health through diet and movement and to let the body express itself in a um the way it's supposed to be expressed and to take really, really good care of yourself and not to put that out on other people, right? So you can live a, a strong, fulfilled life. And the owner is a – his dad was the former chief scientist of Hughes Aircraft, and he's a, he's a big brain guy. And he trusts his discernment over outsourcing discernment because of his uh, consciousness and his capacity to see things, right? And he's a big advocate of freedom. So slowly over the years, as I worked for him, my perspective, I would hear his perspective and I was always hearing it. And of course, I would have these emotional pushes against it, right? Because of kind of my loyalty to my upbringing and my family. And then I had kids uh, at at 49, I started having kids and now I'm 51 and I have, um, sorry, at 43, I started having kids. And now at 51, I have three kids. I have two seven-year-old boys and a nine-year-old boy that I'm raising myself with my wife. We we raise them out of the system. And so I've gone through this dramatic shift of um, understanding, being more logical in my choices and, um, you know, when I went to college, I went to UC Santa Barbara and it was called affirmative action, but I never asked what affirmative action was. I never thought, oh, when these kids get in, these kids don't get in. These kids are, are given something because of the um, biology of their makeup, their melanated skin. And then these people don't get the spot because of theirs. I just thought affirmative action. And as a Democrat, I'm a do-gooder, right? And I'm to let the people, I'm, I'm, I'm to help people, right? Without th- and, and I was tricked by definitions of words and not asking what things meant and not actually looking at things. So, to, in, in, so I've had this awakening, right? And now I have this platform through this podcast, and um, it, it's a fun process to share. And um, when I saw your, when I saw you stand up, I think it was at a Regents meeting, and right. you were, and you were sort of you were defining the. Um, the actual implications of diver- diversity, equity, and inclusion. I, w- I was so excited that someone like you was running for office who could speak in this calm tone and who could express it that actually through this forcing people to believe this thought, we're actually doing the antithesis of um, diversity. Where, you know, and, and, and people are, you know, it, it's been okay for years, for an example, for people not to like uh, Christianity. But now all of a sudden, if you're not a fan of Islam, you're Islamophobic. And so we have this lack of balance in what you're allowed to think and say. And, and, I, and I appreciate your stance on it. So I just I wanted to have you on and, and, and talk with you. 
and 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 I have a, and I have a broad range of questions for you in regards to that. Great. Yeah, I really appreciate this. Did did you so you were a German professor at the uh, University of Riverside? Uh, University of California, Irvine. Irvine. Okay. I always get those two confused. And, and, how, and how did you become a, a German professor? You do not look like a German for professor. Right. Um, so I started out um, in college and I did one of the, the it was at Stanford. Uh, they had this uh, Western culture program. It was called the, well, it was a special program called Structured Liberal Education. And they did, you know, the classics of, of Western civilization. And, uh, and a lot of them were Germans, right? You know, we did, we did, you know, we studied Hegel and Marx and Nietzsche and Freud and Kafka and, uh, you know, a lot of classic um, Western writers, but include a lot of Germans. So I got really interested in that. And so I started to, to learn German. Uh, and then I just kept doing that. When you went to Stanford, what did you go for? What was your, what was your, what was your intent? Uh, my intent was to study physics, actually. Okay. Uh, but uh, but then uh, you know I I really just enjoyed doing uh, humanity stuff. I think a lot of it from this course that I took in the in the beginning it was a, like a freshman uh, kind of comprehensive Western culture course. That that a kind of course that they don't really do so much you know today anymore. Um, but uh, but my department still does that kind of work. I mean it's a department of European languages and studies, so. Uh, we obviously do Western culture. It, it, when I when I search the internet for videos about you and and I, and I want to learn about you, I see you speaking about. Um, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know how to categorize it. I I want to say it's some. Uh, you you have a fo you have a focus on, on on maybe the Constitution or on liberty or on liberal values or on, can you explain that to me? Um. Well, uh, let's see. I guess there's a lot of different things that I've done, but uh, uh, yeah, I do have a focus on. Um, I don't know what you call it. I suppose. Um, oh, good. That makes me feel good that you don't know what to call it either. <laughs> but, but, but clear. But clearly, you're interested in 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 the truth and the operational mechanisms that allow society to function uh, through through law. Yes, but also, you know, I think a, a lot of what I'm, I've been trying to promote is something that actually comes from uh, one of my mentors, Paul Piconi, who was, uh, who's passed away. He was the editor of this journal, Telos, and he developed this idea that he called federal populism, which um, is a real strong focus on, you know, our constitution and the way it's structured, particularly the federalist aspect, uh, which is to say um, federalism for him meant, you know, putting as much responsibility down toward um, the uh, local uh, communities and away from the, the central government, right? Um, but he was also, he, he promoted this, this, uh, an idea of populism, uh, which was combined with that, uh, which really meant, you know, we're not going to try and micromanage people. We're going to let, we're going to give them freedom. We're going to give them responsibility. Uh, and I think those are the two things that really guide a lot of what I think, what I'm, you know, what I've been thinking through, uh, which is to say, um, we have to rethink the way we relate to our government. Um, you know, right now, you know, we've got, we've got this legacy of, of welfare programs, you know, dating from the New Deal, where the idea really is to kind of micromanage people in the way they live. Um, and that's something, you know, it takes away freedom, it takes away responsibility, um, and we really have to rethink 
um, I think the way in which the government relates to us. I mean, you know, I think I, I feel like the government relates to us as if we were some kind of machines, you know, like clocks or something like that. You know, uh, some machine needs oil, you give it oil. Like, uh, you know, you think people are needing food, you give them food stamps, right? Um, but people are not like machines, right? They're more like, uh, you know, at the very least, they're like animals, like a dog, right? You know, like you treat a dog a certain way, you know, you, you, you give him table scraps every day, he's going to be always begging, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you mm -hmm. affect people's mm -hmm. behavior by the types of decisions you make about, right. um, you know, how to provide for them. And if, you know, I think the government, is, I'm not against government, right? What I'm against is the government trying to micromanage. And, you know, so... Um, you know, the, the way in which you, you want to promote certain kinds of behaviors, which is something like, you know, promoting responsibility, promoting freedom is not the is, is, is not to somehow, you know, we've, we've got benefit systems in which we only give people, you know, the food stamps, if their income is below a certain level, if they don't collect up any assets, well, you're kind of promoting that behavior, you're promoting this behavior of not producing income of not, you know, collecting up assets, right. And it's, it's totally kind of, <clears throat> antithetical to what you really want to be promoting people to do to, you know, you want people to have meaningful lives. You want people to be productive. People want that. People want to have meaning in their lives. And you're taking away like one of the key ways that people are able to develop that meaning in their lives, which is say taking responsibility for themselves, thinking through the future, thinking through how they're going to, you know, earn money. That's like a, a key aspect of, you know, what gives you, a sense of self-respect and responsibility for yourself, obviously, right? And so you take that away from people and you, you know, you're, you're undermining um, their relationship to themselves and their meaning for themselves, right? So anyway, so that that's that's like like a kind of a fundamental aspect of, of what I'm thinking through or, or the, the way I think through the way we should relate to our government. So I don't know, this is, this is a long answer, but I hope no, no, no. that's an idea of kind of my perspective. I'm here for it. Uh, the three the three platforms or the three topics that uh, that you're driving home on your website and that I've heard you talk about is a school choice for parents, uh, reducing inflation, and um, return to law and order. Uh, I want to dig in on on those uh, briefly. Uh, when when you say return to law and order, what do you mean? Well, so you know, one thing that I really think that we've gotten into a problem with. And this has been, you know, frankly, it's, it's been a problem with our courts to a certain extent. Um, so, you know, a lot of people in my district are concerned about homelessness, right? So we're not, you know, this is not Los Angeles. This is like Santa Ana, which is a little, little far, it's Orange County. Uh, but it's, you know, some of the problems from Los Angeles are kind of leaking over over here. And, um, you know, people are worried about the homelessness. And, you know, there was this recent court case here in California, Grants Pass, California, where, um, the court um, had um, made this judgment that the city of Grants Pass was not able to enforce an ordinance uh, against vagrancy, right? Um, vagrancy means that, um, vagrancy means like sleeping, in, like if someone sets up a sleeping bag in front of the door of my small business, right? Exactly, right? Okay, okay. And so, um, and so the, you know, the the the, the um, the determination of the court was this was cruel and unusual punishment. And in fact, they, they set a really high standard. They said that if there are not enough shelter beds for everybody, for all the homeless people in the city, then you can't um, you can't make it illegal for any single homeless person 
um, to be, you know, you know, to be in violation of the law. And so, you know, this is this is actually it was just announced it was going to the Supreme Court, you know, because it's this is such a big deal about taking away the ability of cities of cities, you know, to, you know, to, you know, to, to make it a violation to be, you know, like you said, sleeping in somebody's in somebody's business or have, setting up a tent on a public sidewalk. I mean, um, you know, this is this is, you know, this is a basic uh, right of a community to be able to enforce certain laws that um, uh, that maintain public order. Um, and we've lost that to a certain extent, partly because of our court system. And, you know, I mean, it's it's a shame because the court system is supposed to be um, upholding the law. Um, you know, this was this was actually I mean, if we want to go back to affirmative action, you know, the whole affirmative action thing, you know, it really started with the Supreme Court, you know, in the, you know, the Bakke decision uh, about setting, you know, setting up or, or allowing this, this whole um, system of, of preferences, um, even though they tried to restrict it, you know, it, it really had this uh, kind of perverse effect. So, so this is one of the spots uh, going back to like how we use words, affirmative action, um, abortion, and now the word homelessness. So I, I spent, I spent many years homeless by choice. And the thousand homeless people I met, there was one other guy besides me uh, who was not a drug addict. Of, of the 1,000 homeless people I met, anecdotally, uh, two of us were not drug addicts. And I, I think it's just a crazy mischaracterization to call them homeless because me and you, David, we, we sort of have these, and, and I'll project this onto you, we have these priorities, right? We, we want to get oxygen, and then we want some food, and then we want shelter. And then we would like some intimacy with a, um, a family, a woman, and create a family and start building. And so there's this this order, this natural order that I would say that we're in. And when you are a drug addict, what happens is is you're willing to forego um, uh, um, shelter. You're not concerned about shelter and and food. Um, you and you do want air, but also your your occupation is stealing. Because there's a, a by any means necessary uh, component when you're a drug addict. And um, that, that's another thing that frustrates me because it, it's similar to what happened with COVID. Um, we, we are trying to cure the symptom instead of the cause. Hmm. And um, it, we'll never build enough. And it, and it goes back to what you were saying. If we just keep building homes for homeless people, the non-homeless people who are on the fringe, instead of fighting to get better, they'll be like, well, I can get shelter. I'll just fall off this way. Right. Because for them, they're like a rat trying to get through the maze. They just want to be covered by the rain or covered from the rain. Yeah, right. Um, you know, I think a, a huge part of our welfare system really functions that way. It really just incentivizes people to to do these things that, you know, from their perspective is really rational, right? You know, uh, if, if, if by earning money and having doing making a decent living, I'm going to lose all sorts of benefits, oh, then, then why should I be doing that? Right. And then, you know, you got people next door, you know, who are working really hard and they're just basically barely getting by and they're watching somebody else. It's, you know, that, that that's really not doing anything is, is getting kind of the same benefits. You know, it's 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 demoralizing for people. But, but by well, and by mischaracterizing the problem, they're exacerbating it. So if we know the problem from a covid infection is uh, overweight uh, four or more comorbidities, um, we conflate the issue as COVID as opposed to uh, nutrition and movement. Yeah. Like, yeah. like I, I don't, I, not a single, you know, maybe of the 4 million people who do CrossFit on all the continents in the world, maybe two died 
from COVID because at our baseline in our cult, we have a food pyramid. Mm-hmm. You know, we have, we have nutrition as our number one and then movement. And, and one of our things is don't eat sugar. Mm-hmm. And so um, I just get concerned when I hear it, hear it called homelessness because to address homelessness will exacerbate the problem of homelessness. Right. Yeah. As, no, that's as, a great point. as opposed to address them as what they really are. They are. And, and then here's another thing. Imagine if you or I, like if, if you had a daughter who was addicted to heroin or I had a son who was addicted to heroin, I'm not opposed. I don't want free needles given to them mm-hmm. and I don't, and, and I don't want them allowed to be on the street. I would like them to be arrested and get reprieve in a jail for two weeks or a month. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think, you know, to, to force them into rehabilitation, I think that's, that's a necessary thing, right? And it's a good thing for them. Uh, if, right. if, they're, if they're not able to choose to, um, to get into rehab, then then yes, I think it's a, it would be a much better thing to, to force them into some kind of rehab program. There's this demarcation line, right, David, where we have to, like you said, you're not against government. Like we need the government to tell us red means stop and green means go because if we don't agree to that, we're going to get in car accidents. But somewhere there's a line where they, if they tell us too much, it's like, hey, you, you can't fix everything. You will exacerbate the problem. Yeah. Right. Well, and it's also kind of the, uh, I mean, it's not, it's not just about the, about the quantity. It's really the quality of the type of interventions you want. So like, you know, one thing that the government does, it, it, you need government in order to have a free market because the, the government guarantees the market. The government sets up the conditions for a free market by, by, by the types of laws that it establishes. You know, obviously a communist government is not allowing a free market, right? And so, but, you know, our government has certain policies that that promote that that free market you know, in, in a lot of places, but in, not in all places, not in enough places, I think. Right. Um, right. And so it's, it's about thinking through the way the government um, is going to really relate to people. And it really is more like, I, I guess, you know, one metaphor you can use is maybe like a like a garden. Right. I mean, I talked about like how you would raise your, you know, deal with your dog or something like that. But it's something where you have to be smart. You got to you got to set the conditions for flourishing, right? That's what you need to set up. You 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 can't be directly intervening, right? But you want to set up the right conditions and the right kind of structures. Uh, David, you're running for uh, Congress in the state of California, and your area is Orange County, the Orange County area. Yeah, well, it's a you know, uh, yeah, part of Orange County, right? So that's sort of the. Uh, the northwestern edge of, of of Orange County, so it's it's Santa Ana and Anaheim, basically, a couple you know part of Fullerton, part of Orange, part and, and Stanton. So it's like, yeah, Orange County includes about five uh, congressional districts, and this is this is one of them. Is it a, a do they have a Democrat or a Republican um, representing the the region now? Right now, that district has a a Democrat representing it. He's been in, his name is Lou Correa. He's been in there for. Um, this is his fourth term. Why, and they're four-year terms or six-year? Oh, two-year terms for Congress. Two, or House oh, of Representatives. Oh, oh, okay. So it's like I, seven I, years or so. Yeah. Okay, I had no idea. Hey, does the does the root of the um, – I have some strong beliefs of what happened with the, with the safety issue where we crested a point, and I think it was a, um, a the, the George Floyd incident and um, – 
and the and the lockdowns the so it was a it was a double it was a double fear right it was the mischaracterization of what i call the um the suicide or death of george floyd with um with with the lockdowns that sort of sent this our, our, our civilization to break its informal partnership with law and order mm. and basically cause police to be afraid yeah to um to interact with people with darker skin and um and, and there's tons of anecdotal information out there if you talk to cops um does that interest you at all at, at the root of where we tipped because all of us we weren't seeing all of these things of roaming groups of kids going into like nordstrom's and cleaning the place out until sort of this happened and there became these laws like in in santa cruz where it's not a it's not a um basically not a crime to steal stuff uh or it's a really small crime under 950 dollars and things like that right well, that's a huge problem here, right? I mean, yeah, you know, this is this is you know, this is the not the courts. This is our, our legislators who have have created this law that uh, that basically legalizes you know petty theft, and it's it's right, it's 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 undermining, um, yeah, it's undermining the the legal. I mean, it's undermining law and order, um, and it's just created the sort of culture of, of of petty theft. It's it's yeah, it's really it's really a shame, and so this is obviously something that I'm really concerned about too. And, and, and it's disproportionately hurting small businesses, right? I mean, I can't have if I have a small business, I can't lose five hundred dollars worth of product in a day. Hmm. Yeah, right. I mean, but even even large businesses, you know, I mean, Target has been closing down stores in uh, in some point. of these inner city areas. I mean, it's, it doesn't matter what kind of business. I mean, especially small businesses. But but yeah, no there is some to deal with this. There is some crazy number, David, where like. It's in the twenties. Uh, uh, CVS's or Walgreens closed in the Bay Area because of of, of the of the thievery, and then and then and then in, in the Northwest, it's disputed why. But like four uh, four WalMarts closed, like in a region up in the Northwest, like in in Washington. But I but I think it's safe to say that it was because of the stealing. Yeah. Right. No. No. They 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 publicly announced some some of these decisions and said yes, we we can't deal with all of this theft. I mean, uh, you know business can't run that way um and that you know there's just there's no way to 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 do anything about them you're just supposed to let them run in and run out i mean there's no you know so, and, you and so that is part of the public safety right i mean because we're working we're making money and that money represents our human energy yeah it, it, they're basically stealing time from us yeah um right yeah no that's absolutely a, a huge problem here in california and um you know i you know, it, it'll take some time before we can turn that around. There's so many. I mean, there's a you know supermajority of, of of Democrats in the in the state legislature here, uh, and it'll take a long. It'll take some time. It'll effort um, to to turn that around to be able to change those laws. The the homelessness thing, I think it'll you know some something can be done more quickly. Just if if the Supreme Court can can make a new decision on this uh, uh, on this issue of of how cities deal with things like, like vagrancy, but, um, you know, um, the, these laws that are in place in California, that'll, that'll be more difficult to change. Um, were, were you always a Republican? No, I, I just, uh, in fact, I was like, I'm Democrat all my life. I just, uh, I, I switched to Republican last year. Uh, though I guess I, my views had been changing for a long time. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I've written, I wrote on affirmative action, like, 20, 25 years ago against affirmative action. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I guess, you know, the, 
I started as a Democrat mainly because I thought Democrats were kind of the party of um, rights for, for minorities, really. I mean, that that's, you know, I mean, I think, you know, the Civil Rights Act of 1964, that's something like, you know, the Democrats really pushed. Um, but um, although although the, uh, a ton of de- Democrats voted against it, including including Al Gore's dad. Well, OK. Yeah. Right. Uh, but it was it was it was bipartisan. I mean, it was Republicans right. and Democrats, but it was it was something where, you know, you could you could think that the Democrats were. I mean, we've always, I think, thought that Democrats were more the party of minorities and kind of supporting things like equal opportunity. But, right. you know, they've they've subverted that right where they're against equal opportunity now uh, and in favor of this idea of, of equity. Right. That's I think that's the key shift that they've made. Right. Where they say, no, we don't want equal opportunity. We want equity. Uh, and th- that's a whole, that's this whole concept that, um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's this idea. It's, it's actually, I, I mean, I, th- I think of it as a form of socialism, really, because it's saying that we want an e- equal um, outcomes, equal results. Uh, we're not looking for equal opportunity. So then we have to engineer these results. Right. You know, you know admit more minorities, admit more, well, but specific minorities, you know, the, the, the ones that are deemed to be underrepresented. And I hate that term too. Um, un, that's what the term they use, unrepresented, underrepresented minorities. But they're talking, they're talking about blacks and Hispanics. Um, but they're not actually underrepresented in, in the sense that, you know, the qualified applicants, you know, if they, there's a certain number of qualified applicants uh, amongst, you know, from blacks and Hispanics, and those are the ones that should be admitted. But um, you know, if we're admitting more blacks and Hispanics um, bec- because we're letting in those who are, are less qualified than people from other races, right? And so that's not underrepresentation. They're they're actually overrepresented from my point of view in the sense that um, you should be admitting, you should be using the same standard as everybody else. Now, if they're underrepresented in as a portion of the population. Right. Then the issue is not so much, you know, on the level of college admissions. The issue is in uh, primarily, I think, in, in schooling on that on the more basic elementary level. Right. Primary schools, you know, high schools. Right. And, you know, and, and affirmative action is not solving that at all. It's actually diverting attention from that problem. Right. Where we really need to be focusing there. And, that, you know, we can get into school vouchers. But that's really you know, one of the things that I think that that we need in order to improve the schools. But, you know, there's this whole you know, teacher union lobby that, that opposes that. I, I, I want to go back to switching to become a Democrat. Was that difficult for you? And what were the implications of switching and running for Congress as a Republican while you're in a system, which is the UC system? Um, and, and I don't know how involved you are in the uh, Chinese community, but in a system or in an area where, uh, you know, 80, 90 percent of the people are Democrats. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I guess I've been developing a kind of reputation as a conservative anyway, just because of the stuff I've been writing. Um, I had just not, I guess, yeah, officially announced that I was Republican and, and kind of um, um, I guess that's been difficult to a certain extent. Um you know, academia itself, all, all of academia you know, is, is really heavily skewed toward the Democrats. In fact, you know, the, the ratio on, the, on, on our campus, you know, in this area 
um, around UC Irvine is is something like um, it's like twenty five to one, right? Where you know mm-hmm. Democrats are Republicans. So I don't, um, you know, I can think of like uh, I can't think of a single Republican actually in my whole school of humanities. Really, I don't think there there is. There's one guy who's who retired a little while ago, but that's that's the only one. Um, so yeah, I think that the, the difficult thing that I had was really that I wasn't really making much headway in in academia and um, you know publishing my stuff and and getting a hearing for things that I was writing right uh, and that's what was so frustrating and that's why I've said okay look I need to I need to get out of this system and um, you know work outside of university in, in some kind of political capacity because I mean you know the, the type of work that I was doing was a lot of political theory a lot of stuff related to politics but but not like activist stuff right um on more of a theoretical level uh and that was where that was where a lot of the frustration was where i just was not getting a hearing from anybody was the shift scary were you scared i was scared about going into politics because it was such a new thing for me right yeah how how about losing your job though How, how i mean here you are uh very successful respected you um, how long have you been at the at the at the university? Uh, I've been here since two thousand six, so I guess seventeen, almost eighteen years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so many people would be afraid to um, I- express logical views in their workplace or anywhere for fear of retaliation. I mean, it, it, it's it's real in California. Yeah, I guess so. Um, I guess I wasn't so worried about that. I mean, um, theoretically, they. I guess you know the, what what happens. You know, I think there's there there have been other tenured professors who have been able who have, who have somehow lost their jobs due to positions they've taken, right? Um, and so it's not a it's not like a, there's no danger of that. Um, generally, though, what what they've had to do in order to do that is to find some kind of um, excuse to do it. And in general, it would be some kind of like, you know, sexual harassment. That's like right. one thing that they can use, right? If, if there's something that ever happened or even, you know, um, they can use that to force somebody out. Um, but it's true. Also, something about discrimination, right? They could use that to force somebody out as well. Uh, but they would have, you know, they have to, to use kind of these underhanded means in a sense um, in order to force somebody out. So um, I don't know. I don't, I, I didn't feel that I had any vulnerabilities there. I mean, maybe I'm just being delusional about that. Um, but on the other hand, you know, you know, the reason I got into academia is to pursue what I felt to be, you know, to pursue truth, right? To pursue, you know, to, to be figuring out the way things work and and talking about it. So I, I, I didn't feel like I should, I, I didn't want to compromise that. Um, and yeah, and 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 I felt that even though I was I was publishing things, especially through this journal Telos, um, it just wasn't getting a hearing from people. I mean, um, Telos, you know, you know, we've been around for a long, long time, over fifty years, but you know, the our readership has been going down and down because our readership was was mainly academics, right? And they just they won't they won't listen to what we're doing anymore. I mean. It's I, I don't know it's 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 really a shame um, because um, I th- I mean 
look, I'm biased, right? I'm the editor of the journal, but I think we're doing some of the most interesting stuff in, in, stuff in academia now. We, you know, we have a w wide range of perspectives, um, and and you know, we've been we've been calling out a lot of the stuff. I mean, you know, we, we had an issue on universities uh, what, what, a year ago. Uh, I thought it was a great issue, really revealing a lot of the problems uh, that are at universities, which are really serious problems with where, yeah, I, I feel like truth has kind of receded from what's, uh, what's top of mind uh, amongst uh, people at university. Um, and, and, you know, what's replaced it is a kind of, kind of bureaucratic um, rationality uh, where they, you know, there's, there's this sort of a, a set of ideological ideas and you just want to promote those ideas. And, you have, and, and, the, and the research has turned into, you know, different, you know, ways of reproducing those ideas and, and reinforcing them. And, and they have to go through these really like complicated intellectual, like, um, strategies in order to to reinforce what they want to say. Uh, it's it's just it's only 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 an intellectual could uh, could appreciate it and, and and believe it, right? Because of the way it's it's so convoluted. I mean, it's just I mean, and I don't know. It, you know, my field is literature, and so there's all these literature literary critics, you know, talking about whatever uh, Franz Kafka or talking about. You know, I, I wrote an essay last year it was about. Um, uh, contemporary German writers talking about Islamic women in Germany. And, um, and there were some real serious critiques of what's going on uh, in, within the Islamic community in Germany, in this text that I was reading, but people did not want to see it. You know, people were just, you know, the, the, the critics, you know, the, the, the German professors who were writing about it, um, they're all about, you know, Islamophobia and stuff like that without really wanting to to address the problem, I mean, you know, part of the issue here was how, um, you know, how, how misogynistic a lot of the, you know, Muslim practices were in Germany or are in Germany, uh, and they just didn't want to see it. They just didn't want to talk about that. Yeah, but that situation also is an interesting one in regards to um, what's uh, the Jews. Uh, the Jews are clearly uh, marginalized and underrepresented. Um, you know, I think there's 15 million of them worldwide, and there's 1.8 you know billion uh, Muslims, and there's you know 54 Muslim countries, and there's one Jewish state. That's always another one that interests me. It, it, those words aren't convenient in those arguments either. When you have this tiny little piece of land with these few people who, who happen to be armed to the gills, um, but uh, but those words don't work there either um you talked about uh dei and about how when someone applies to go to to become to work at the university that there's a, a part of the application process there's a dei section can you can you explain that to me because i now i haven't been in the workforce for uh, I, I worked at crossfit for 15 years and then i've been just doing my own thing self-employed for the last five years so i don't have no idea what's going on in the outside world but i've had i had a friend apply a couple of years ago at a community garden and i couldn't believe the questions they were asking him like um they were asking him questions about how he feels towards certain groups of people based on like their sexual preference or the color of their skin and it was to work at a community garden wow. i was like yeah, Berkeley, Berkeley, <laughs> California. Okay, that's Berkeley. Okay. Yeah, Berkeley. Uh, ironically, a, a Jewish gardens too that they had there. But um, 
what's going on at the, at the university? This process so, that's supposed to increase diversity is actually reducing it, correct? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the first issue is just that the way they define diversity is just in terms of color of your skin, right? Mm -hmm. Which is really kind of absurd to me, right? Diversity of perspective. It's just about they just reduce it to color of your skin. Which but, is by which would we agree that's just it's a biological at the most factual level, it's a biological phenomenon. And the only reason it matters is your uh, relationship with the sun. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes. Um, I mean, it's I mean, the, the problem is that everything history, else is just a correlate is what I'm saying. Yeah. Right. It's not a fact. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like hair color or something like that, or eye color, right? right? Basically. Right. 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 Uh, it's no different. Um, but, you know, the, the problem obviously is that people have used skin color in the past as a way to categorize people, right? And, right. You know, and to, yeah. But, um, but that's just not the case anymore in the United States. I just don't think, I mean, you know, we, we had, you know, this, we had a black Republican presidential candidate, right? Tim Scott. Nobody talked about his skin color. It was all about his character, about his ideas, right? And so we've, we've advanced really far in this country, and we should be proud of that. And, and people are just, people are not seeing that. I mean, I've seen that. I mean, I, you know, I, I was born in 1963, right? That was before the Civil Rights Act. That was, we had colored bathrooms in the United States in 1963, right? And, you know, to, you know, just to see the progress we've made since then, it's just incredible. I mean, I, I think you know, we should really be proud of that. I mean, I think we're the, probably the, the least racist country in, in, any, in the entire world. I, I don't think there's, there's a, there should be any doubt about that. Um, and, and yet people think that there's this big problem of racism. Anyway, so. Uh, um, By the way, there's a, there's a, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll get you back on track with the DEI, but there's this comedian now who has this bit. And he said, you know why they call Sweden, Sweden, and Iran, Iran, and uh, China, China? Because those countries are just saying we're racist. Our country is our race. So when you think of the like, like that's the premise for all countries except for one, and that's exactly. the one we live in. Exactly. It, it, yeah, it, it's it's fascinating. And those other countries will be like, hey, I don't understand why you guys got this racist problem. Well, it's because hey, listen, you you only have Koreans there, or you only have Armenians there. Like you're you, you you're not involved in this social experiment. But okay, so so I'd love to hear about the process of getting a job yeah, at the UT. Right. Yeah. So. Um, so the first thing that happens, right, is anybody that applies for an academic job these days, you have to submit what they call a diversity statement, right? Um, and the diversity statement, basically what they're asking you is to kind of explain how you promote this ideal of diversity, equity, inclusion in your teaching, in your research, in your service to the profession, right? So it's, it's, it's like a uh, a kind of ideological litmus test, essentially, because I mean, if, if, if you say, oh, I'm totally opposed to this idea of diversity, equity, inclusion, they're not going to give you a job. They won't even right. consider you, right? And even if you're, if you're not, if you're, you know, they're, they're using that as one of the components for filtering through the applications right in the very beginning, right? And so, you know, this is the kind of thing which is an ideological litmus test where they're clearly taking a position um, that's promoted by, you know, by, by one sect, by one party. I mean, I mean, it's the democratic party that promotes this. Um, and they're saying that this is a condition of, um, or a criterion, one of the main criteria that we're going to use to judge your fitness for the job that you're applying for. 
I mean, this is just, it's just, it's just so if I week. said, if I applied for a job and I said, um, I'm a practicing Muslim, um, and I'm against homosexuality, that, that would be, that's, that doesn't count as a diverse viewpoint. Um, like, it, right. It, I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure yeah. How yeah, they, yeah. Right. How they would They're not, they, they wouldn't be like, oh, okay. We don't have, they wouldn't look at the list and be like Muslims who oppose homosexuality. Oh, we only have uh, 3% of those. Let's up that to 5%. <laughs> they're, they're not, they're not doing that. They're basically, no. they see that as someone who, if, if you don't fall into their ideology, which is to accept everyone under every circumstance, um, you're not in. It, 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 it's it's a misnomer to call it diversity. Um, yes, that's the first thing. You're right. I mean, that's that's separate from the diversity statements, right? So you know, so there's that's the on the, on the applicant side. That's what you're going to see. On the other side, you know, on the on the search committees, you're going to see something different. I mean, you're going to see on the one hand, you'll see this. Um, you know, you have to go through these, you know, they're demanding the diversity statements and they're going to, they're going to use those diversity statements in, in order to evaluate candidates. But also, in addition to that, they're going to have their own agenda about, oh, we want, you know, we have this preference for, you know, blacks and Hispanics and women to a certain extent, right? Uh, maybe homosexuals, I suppose, right? Um, I think sexual preference is, is, is huge. It, it feels like it's huge from, from where I sit. Yeah. No, I mean, I think they're all they're, they're all clearly important. It's just that I think they're focused really much. I, the explicit focus is more on on blacks, Hispanics, and and women because that fits into, you know, you know, you you, you know, you, those those um, forms you fill out from the federal government all often about you know identifying yourself by race or by gender, right? You've you've seen those, right? Um, yeah, yep. you know, you apply for a loan, right? You got you got to do that, right? Um, and so they're really kind of focused on those those federally mandated categories. So the homosexuality isn't isn't on that form, right? So it has a, a less of an explicit focus, really. You, um, you know, recently in uh, Los, I'm I'm Armenian, and I was um, many years ago. My wife was uh, hit by a car, and she got a settlement. And um, one of our friends, one of her family friends was a Jewish lady. My wife's Jewish, uh, Ashkenazi, I'm Armenian. And um, we, we went to go visit her to get some advice. She was vice president of a big bank in Southern California, not Citibank, but a different bank. And um, she, when we were there, we were asking what we should do with the money. And one of the things she pointed out is, just so you know, we don't lend money to Armenians. Like she just freely told me that. And if we see someone with the last name IAN, we don't lend them money. And... Um, Interestingly enough, I don't know if you saw a couple months ago, Citibank got in trouble and they were fined $25 million because they had a policy. This just came public a few months ago where if your last name ended in Y-A-N or I-A-N, Citibank of California didn't lend you money. They had that in writing. Really? Yeah. And um, the thing that's hard, that's hard also to accept is like it didn't upset me at all, right? I, I – there's there's a rationality to it. No one put that in because they hate Armenians. Someone put that in because um, they they had experienced a lot of Armenians defaulting or being on their loans. Right. It's the same thing. So when you go to um, when I go up to uh, Stanford for uh, I go to Stanford for um, you know some sort of doctor's appointment, I want the Chinese doctor. I don't want the local doctor in my town. 
and, 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 and you know what I mean? Like there are these things that these categorizations that get lumped up as being racist when it's really just discernment. You see a snake with a big mandible like this and you don't get close to him because you know he has venomous uh, jaws in there. There's a reason why Chinese get um, mathematic PhDs at a hundred times the rate of people of, of other ethnicities, right? And so we can take this information and use it to make discernment and it just gets lumped up into this racist category. Yeah. Right. And, so, and, and, it, and it really, it really sucks. It, it, it dumbs, it's, it just dumbs down. It speaks to the lowest common denominator of humanity and, and just, and just dumbs everything down. But for some reason, for, but for some reason also it's okay in basketball, right? Everyone <laughs> wants to, every, every, everyone wants the tall black guy and it's okay to say that. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's, I mean, I think that's, that's one of the sort of fundamental problems with uh with affirmative action or these different preferences is um you know this idea we, we talked about i talked about it before about uh, th this idea of the underrepresented minority right where you know if if in any profession you know let's say with i don't know i think i read something about uh, lobster uh what do you call them uh, lobster what do you call Fisherman? the people that, that Fish collect lobsters that you know whatever oh. the, there's a like, there's a word for that. Lobsterians, <laughs> <But> like, lobsterians. <laughs> Caleb, Caleb will find it. I got a guy in the back end. I never even knew. I never. Knew. <laughs> you, you went to Stanford. I went to UCSB. Come on. Go, go, go anyway, anyway, uh, these these guys that these lobster men. Uh, men I, I like that lobster men. men, lobster women. Be good, David. Lobster women. <laughs> well, there were there were not very many black lobster men, right? Um, lobster yeah. men or harvester. Okay, you got lobster it. Wow, men or harvester. Yeah, okay. All right. And so there was this whole program to increase the representation of, of blacks amongst the lobstermen, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, as if it was there was a kind of racist thing going on. I mean, it wasn't a racist thing, right? Clearly, it was just there. Was, it was just not a, a, a thing that people that, that blacks got into. And I don't think there was any. I mean, maybe there was some kind of uh, prejudice against them, maybe, but. In the same way that, like, you know, for a long time you had nurses were women and you didn't have as many men in the nursing profession, probably still not as many, right? But there's a, you know, there's kind of aspect, there's a kind of arbitrariness to that, right? Where yep. some, you know, people choose to do that. Are you talking about Chinese and math, right? There's, there's a lot of Chinese that go into math, right? And right. I don't know, you, you can't fault the system for that, right? There's, there's lots of things that go into that kind of decision. Partly it's cultural, partly it's tradition, right? Um, but I don't think there's anything nefarious in that. And so if you have a, a large percentage of whites in lobstering, you know, that doesn't mean you've got a, a kind of totally racist profession there. Right. And that's all the, all that's the liquor. The My dad ran a liquor store on Middle Eastern. Yeah. Uh, all, every every single uh, dry cleaner shop I've gone to is run by an Asian. Hmm. There's there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that. And, and, yeah. there, and there's no there's no Armenian Mid Middle Eastern mafia keeping um, white people or Jews or blacks out of running liquor stores. They can, too. And there's no mafia of Asians keeping, uh, you know, white people out of running dry cleaners. <laughs> right. Yeah. So we got to have to accept this kind of aspect that, that you know, there's there are going to be sort of all these factors that go into 
people's choices of profession. And, and we're, we can't be looking for exact proportional representation in all the different professions. It, it would be absurd to try and socially engineer that. And, but that's, that's the premise behind the idea of underrepresented minorities and the whole you know, diversity push to try and, and get that exact proportionality, right? Which is really just, it's, 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 uh, it undermines really our whole, um, the whole basis of kind of our, our freedoms in society, right? Um, in, in trying to socially engineer that. Um, and it's dangerous. Yeah, right. Putting I mean, someone it, in as a pilot who's not qualified. Well, <laughs> there's that problem, but, but also- Or reading the clean, clean water plant in your city. You, you want, you want uh, three of the smartest people running the clean water plant. You can't have some guy who was put in there because of diversity, equity, and inclusion who's not going to keep the water clean for your city. Right. Exactly. Right. Um, but but even, even on the level of trying to fight racism, you know, by, by using these categories, categorizing people according to their race, and then trying to, like, use that to, to make these decisions, that's increasing the racism. Right. I mean, I think absolutely just get rid of all those categories. I mean, we we shouldn't be have to fill out our race on any kind of form. Right. Um, That's really just reinforcing this idea that 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 skin color somehow matters beyond just the color of your skin. The statistics are also um, completely used one way. So if you look at, um, you know, uh, uh, I, th- I think it's like 13% of the United States or 13 to 16% of the United States has melanated skin is black. And um, uh, half of those are male, let's say at 6%. And then you look, it's like 51% of murders in the United States are committed by people with melanated skin. Now, obviously being mel- obviously that's a correlate. There's no, there's no fact there. You're not, bl- you're not black and predispositioned to, to kill more people, but these are also the stats that aren't mentioned the stats are always used in a bias. I feel like on the media to present it as if, the, um, well, the, the, there's more blacks in prison proportionally to how many white people there are without right. ever mentioning this other stat. 6% right. of the population is doing 51% of the murders. It's like, uh, that, that, that doesn't even, that, that that's almost impossible to compute. If you categorize by skin color, which you're proposing, let's just throw that away. Yeah. Right. And the only person who needs to know your skin color is your doctor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. right. Yeah. 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 So, so yes, exactly. I totally agree with that. And, um, you know, and, but this problem about, you know, um, homicide rates, you know, within black communities, that's, that's a serious problem. It's, but it's a, it's obviously a cultural problem, right? And the same way that the Chinese doctors and Chinese math whizzes are, it's a cultural issue. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and how and would so, you define culture, David? How would you define culture when you say it's a cultural issue? Well, it's uh, at a basic level. It's like who your parents were and, and the types of views and and habits they have. Right. And and that, you know, it matters who your parents are. <laughs> um, so so, so ha- I like that habits, the habits that you were instilled in you are your culture. Yeah. Right. And obviously that happens, right? You, you you get a lot of your habits and perspectives from your parents and, and that will have an effect. And so, you know, because different parents are different and it'll be, you know, a lot of it will be based on their affinities, their, you know, who they're related to, who, who they're, who they associate with, you know, there'll, there'll be differences in, in a society amongst different groups, right? Um, but that'll be a cultural thing. It's not based on skin color 
Um, but skin color can correlate with culture, right? And, and that has been the case for, you know, for, um, you know, the history of humanity, right? Um, but, uh, but that's changing in the United States. I mean, you know, like I said, I mean, I think the United States is obviously um, unique in the world in, in the sense that, that we've, we've um, yeah, we've, we've kind of decoupled that relationship. You know, we're, like you said, you know, we're not like the Swedes where we're just one ethnicity. You know, we've got so many different ethnicities, but also different skin colors. But we, you know, we've created this amazing culture um, in this national culture where everybody everybody mixes, and there's there's a kind of new kind of way of thinking through the different boundaries between um, attitudes of, of different cultures, right? And so, you know, obviously, we 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 don't have just single race couples anymore. We've got biracial couples, and that nobody bats an eye at that um, today. I mean, in fact, just I just watched um, um, what was that that movie? Um, Sydney Poitier, uh, "Who's Coming to Dinner?" Look, who's coming to dinner? Is that the the title? Uh -huh. right? Yep, yep. Right. And they were talking. It was like I can't remember. It was like 1967 or 68 or something like that. And uh, and and I think one of the one of the things the phrases was. You know, it might sound crazy, but it could be that your children, one of your children could become president. Well, the, the guy who would become president, right, was already born at that point, right? Wow, um, wow. You know, who was black, right? So, yeah, you Barack know, Obama, okay. Right, and so, you know, that's this huge change that, you know, that we've gone through, but, you know, we, we just, people don't, <laughs> people don't give us enough credit uh, for this incredible transformation we've made. I mean, in fact, you know, one of the things, you know, people, people all over the world might criticize us for, for being racist, but one of the ways you know that we're one of the least racist countries in the world is that we actually take this problem seriously and we've been trying to solve it. And, and it's become such an issue in the discourse because we're, you know, we're, we're hypersensitive to racism where these other cultures, I mean, if you, you know, you take Sweden or Germany, um, you know, they don't have to deal with so many different races, but I mean, I think there's a much more racist undertone in those cultures, but they don't talk about it obviously at all, right? That's uh, right, right, right. Uh, I, I, I saw something this morning. Um, that both my parents are Armenian. I come from, you know, uh, Armenian was my first language, and the people are much, much uh, more forthright. They don't play the kind game like we do in the United States. They don't have all the political correctness. Mm -hmm. And I saw I saw a video this morning talking about Chinese culture in the same way. And that if you called someone fat in China, it's not it wouldn't be cons it's not offensive. It's just an objective uh, um, statement. And then they showed all of these stores in China that had the word fat in them. You know what I mean? <laughs> so you knew that if you were fat, you shopped there. <laughs> and 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 that's all that's also uh, uh that's an enormous problem here in the United States too, where people are putting feelings, which we all know change from second to second to second as a higher truth than, than, than the facts. Right. Mm -hmm. So you see these weird, these weird things like you see in Oregon where two plus two saying is four is racist because anything where there's just one answer is, uh, is, is the white man's way. And it's <laughs> like, wow, we're, we're getting out there guys. Yeah. <laughs> Was there was there something like that that you saw that's like okay I'm I'm running for office. Um, was there was there a tipping point for thing. you? No, I don't know if it was a single thing. 
Uh, you didn't see a man gradual. in the woman's bathroom. You didn't see a man in the woman's bathroom, and you're like, "All right, it's time to." <laughs> uh, you know, it was much more. You know, the experience I've had gradually banging my head against the wall in terms of the academic job and like publishing the work I have, and maybe it was really that. I, I guess it, it was. It was probably this case where. You know, I was I, I had known of this search committee where um, you know this is why I talked about in that that video with, with the with the regents of the University of California, um, where I realized it was this explicit. I mean, it was it was not just the mandate to um, to hire in you know a, a black Hispanic or women, but actually where when the shortlist didn't include enough of those, they actually said no, you can't continue your search until you add somebody from lower down in the pool to your shortlist, right? But not is, because they're lower down in the pool, but because of their physiological makeup. Right, exactly. Skin color or genitalia or something like that. Exactly, right? And that, that you need to use that as the basis for including at, at least one other person in your shortlist from lower down in the pool. I mean, it was just it, it's just so egregious, right? I have a friend who works in the accounting department of a top five largest university in the United States, largest budgets. And um, they told me that there is an explicit written, I think they even sent it to me, it was about six months ago, statement that says all outside contracts first must go to, and it lists what they are. And it is, um, uh, it's women, and, and then it's, 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 I forget how they, but it's, it's like marginalized women or underrepresented women. And then it also mentions about their sexuality. Mm-hmm. And that is all contracts must, any contracts you have, you must first try to give to those uh, business owners that fit that, that, um, that makeup that can check mm-hmm. those boxes. And I was just, I couldn't even believe what I was seeing. I couldn't even believe what I was, mm-hmm. what I was seeing, but, but, yeah. it, but it was, ex- it was even explicit. And it might be in reaction to some kind of federal program too, right? Oh, wow. They, that yeah. they're rewarded from the federal government if you yeah. have this. Right. Yeah. So this is, this is, this is, this is what's gotten me into politics because a lot of this is, is not, it's not just coming from these businesses or from, it's not coming from like people being racist, right? It's coming from the federal government mandating a lot of this stuff. Right? Mandating racism. Yeah. It's crazy. Mandating it's pre- crazy. prejudice. Mandating prejudice. Yeah. And it's so, you know, we've got to, we've got to do something to change this. I mean, there's just, I mean, it's, it's really, it's really pushing our nation into this direction of kind of a, you know, racial war, right? I mean, it's, it's not coming from people, it's coming from the government. And, and, you know, I mean, when you look into a lot of the, the most egregious cases of kind of ethnic warfare, a lot of it, it ends up coming from the government, right? I mean, the Rwandan uh, genocide, a lot of that was not, you know, people themselves somehow going crazy. It was like a lot of these, you know, influence from from the state that was sort of promoting this kind of stuff. And it's just, um, I mean, yeah, people have good intentions on this a lot of times, but they they just, uh, they're somehow they haven't been able to think through the consequences uh, of these types of policies. Um, I, I, I saw um, a, c- a couple things here. One, going back to um, just how statistics can be misrepresented. Uh, I read this. It's, it's an old book, but uh, Thomas Sowell wrote it. Um, you're probably familiar with him. Oh, yeah, he's great. 
yeah, the economist from the Hoover Institute, that there was a thing where they were comparing white people, um, white people's income to uh, Jew, white Jews in New York's income to Puerto Ricans. And they were saying that Jews made like, I forget what it was, 200 percent more than um, than Puerto Ricans. And then Thomas Sowell points out that the average age of Jews is 50 and that the average age of Puerto Ricans is 25. But they never mentioned that when they published that. And the irony is, is at 25 myself, I was homeless and didn't have any money. And now at 51, I'm a millionaire. Mm-hmm. So to, you you can't even compare the 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 two, right? I mean, it's right. just completely it's completely insane. That being said, Thomas, so it, I saw recently that, and this is really rough numbers, but the top money makers in the United States are Asian people. Then at the fifty yard line are white people. They make about half as much as Asians, and then about the people who make half as much as them are people with melanated skin. If you were to characterize people by their skin color, right? Mm-hmm. So it would be it would be uh, um, uh, people with black skin, white skin, and then whatever skin you want. I don't even know if Asians have get categorized by their skin. I don't know what how we lump you guys up. <laughs> um, but that being said, um, Soel goes on. Then then I remembered something I read. Soel said that the reason why the Asians have gotten so far ahead and the Hispanics and the blacks have not is, and this is probably tied into culture, is because Asians put their head down and worked. And Mexicans and blacks, uh, Hispanics and blacks tried to use the government to help them. Hmm. And that's where that's where you look at all the, 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 the blacks and the Hispanics who went into politics, but not Asians. Very, very underrepresented uh, th- through the years. They just put their hmm. head down and worked. And, and, and Asians have been through some shit, right? The Democrats built those uh, Japanese internment camps. Right. Uh, yeah. And they've been through some and they had their shit taken from them. Yeah. Um, do you think of it? Have you have you thought about that at all? That like maybe like look at the success of your people. Um, you're Taiwanese, right? My parents came from Taiwan. I mean, they they originated in China, but then they um, you know, there was obviously a war there, and and they were on the the national side, and they migrated to Taiwan. Um, legally. <laughs> at the time, it was you know <laughs> they were they were refugees basically. Yeah. Yeah. yeah wild um do you think about have you have you thought about that at all about the fact that like hey maybe the you know so i can see people in the comments someone's like hey why don't we just stop talking about it and it will go away or why don't you just keep your head down and and, and work have you, have you thought about that you know like hey look at the success of my, of my demographic of people what we've done yeah well without i mean going into politics yeah i mean that's that's certainly a solution it's just that you know there's so much today that um, you know the, these these DEI policies end up penalizing people who you know put their head down and work right um, and um, and that's the problem right that that that's you know I think you know and you're not running as a Chinese man right I mean that, no not at all yeah that's so interesting yeah. I mean the, the, the district is sixty five percent Hispanic okay. And um, and actually, I think it's a good district for me. I mean, one of the reasons I'm running in this district is because it's Hispanic working class, where I think um, I think my message has actually been really, you know, appealing to them. Um, so, you know, one of the things that I really am focused on is in thinking learning through the Spanish, media, learning Spanish. You're focused on learning Spanish. Oh yeah, no. I, <laughs> I speak Spanish. Um, okay, okay. Um, um, I could, yeah, I can improve my fluency on it somewhat, but yeah, but, I, but I've been speaking to in Spanish to my constituents. Um, but the um, 
you know, this gets into the whole um, reducing inflation part and, and reducing government spending. Um, so, you know, I have this idea that, you know, I, I've talked about it right, about the welfare programs that are, that are right. They, they reward people for, for not working, right? For not uh, building up wealth, right? You, you, have, you build up a certain, you, you have more than $2,000 in your bank account, you, you, you're disqualified from, from Medicaid benefits, right? So it's, it's just, it's just um, forcing people to, to remain in poverty, right? Um, and like you said, a lot of, you know, there's a lot of certain groups that somehow are, you know, they, they put all of their ingenuity and effort into getting government benefits, right? Um, this is, and it, it undermines, it's, it's, it's bad for them, right? It undermines their own work ethic. It undermines their whole sense of responsibility, in fact, right? So, so I have this idea, right, where I would like to take all of our welfare and entitlement programs all of that, phase them out and replace them with a universal basic income that would just go, it would be, with all that money, you can give everybody $16,000 a year. Anybody 21 or over can get $16,000 a year. And that would be equal for everybody, right? Oh, David, you're scaring me. I'm having a, uh, you're tr you, you triggered me. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I I don't, but this um, why why I don't I don't like this universal uh, basic income. It seems like you're just moving the problem from one place. No. So to another. so if you so so you think about it. If we if we were to eliminate all these different programs, all the food stamps, student loans, um, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, right? Okay. Um. We would be eliminating like half of the entire federal budget right away, right? We would be able to, um, and in doing that, you you remove lots of government agencies, you remove all of these restrictions on people's freedom that are based on government managing people, right? You give them this money, for a lot of people, you know, for you, it would be a tax cut basically. Right? How do you yeah, manage yeah, that's that? What right? I, that's what I want. I just want a tax cut. Right. But this is what it would be. For, for you, it would be a tax cut. For people lower down, they'll get money back. Right? But right. it's, you know, so it's, uh, I don't know, if Milton Friedman had this idea of a negative income tax. Right? Uh, it was basically working the same way. Right? Where, you know, everybody gets a tax cut. If you're at the bottom, you'll get, you'll get this money. Right? If you haven't been paying taxes. But you have to be is, working. Oh, let me let me interrupt you. Sorry, because I'm just so I'm so triggered. I'm, I'm going. Okay, to go ahead. I'm about to jump off into the lake here. All right. <laughs> How does this comport with your um, idea of incentivizing people to work hard? I don't like the idea of giving people sixteen thousand dollars for two. How will you ever get them off of that? And 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 haven't we then at that point um, done exactly what we didn't want to do? We're rewarding them for not doing anything, or, or would there be some sort of stipulation to get the money? So, so the idea is we've got a system right now, right? That's takes the same money, uh -huh. gives it to people that aren't working, and doesn't give anything to people who are working. Okay, right? I, 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 okay, right? Okay, yeah. You set up a system where everybody gets the same whether you're working or not, right? The first thing it does. It helps working families the most right away. Oh, my goodness. Hold on. A bat just flew in the room. Let me see if I can let him Whoa. out. Holy cow. Wow. Hey, guys. Greg. Greg. 
I don't know how to catch a bat. I can't even believe it. There's a bat down here. Hey, Greg. Guys. Do you know how to catch a bat, David? <laughs> no. <laughs> Let me see. I don't I think I've ever seen a bat close up. Um. He, oh, he he he's he's cruised over to the corner. Wow. I'm How in this. In? Uh, I don't know. I'm in this uh, big home on the lake in Idaho. We'll get back to universal basic income in one second. Give me one second. Hopefully he finds a uh, – hi, David. I'm Caleb. I've just been running the back end. Oh, hi, Caleb. Hopefully he finds like a – maybe a hat or something. He can just <laughs> throw it on top, you know, and scoop it up and throw it out there or something. Probably harder to catch one of those than it is catch a rat. Maybe. I don't know. I, I guess once it starts flying, it won't be so easy, right? Yeah, yeah that, that's where it's tricky, right? I, I've caught a few mouse in my day, and they just scurry around the corners all the time, and it's easy to catch them. You can just corner him. Maybe he's figured it out. Or he's just going to leave it. You're a good dude, Caleb. Thanks for coming on and checking in on David. Uh, um, the owner of the house, she's coming down here. She has a bat net. Oh, my God. He's so cute. I feel so bad for him. He does not look like he's in good shape. Oh. Oh, my goodness. Oh, Universal net, Sounds he, like He's a... right here. He's so cute. I'm afraid if I open the door, I'll run him over. Ooh. He's dying. Oh. Oh, man. What are you going to do with him? Want me just to leave him alone? He's making crazy sounds. Can you, will he climb up in there? Oh, you got him. Wow. Just leave that outside, that net. All right. Won't be like any other interview you've ever done, David. <laughs> Thank you, Maggie. All right, one that down. Uh, you know, okay, so so there's all of these all of this money is being spent already in this one direction for all these welfare programs, food stamps, etc. You're saying let's Dim those, turn those down, gather that money, and just give it to people. Right, exactly. Give because cash. because it'll be equal, right? Everybody gets the same thing, and everybody has the same responsibility now. Now people are responsible for themselves, right? Um, they can make decisions about their own lives based on this sort of – well, they'll have this stable income, right? Um, so they, can, they could sit back and surf for the rest of their lives. But I'm betting that people – you know, they they want meaning in their lives, right? And they've got a basis for developing that, right? Do um, they have to? What would they have to do to get that? Could they, they just live have in a to be a, a, I would say a U.S. citizen, twenty-one or over. So, so they could be. What if they? Man, but the, but think I, about it. Right now, the problem is that we're <clears throat> we're incentivizing people to not work, right? So that they've got this right. positive push to not work. Right. Once we give it, once we get rid of all the restrictions, 
you don't have that anymore. They can do whatever they want, right? Plus, I mean, would we do something, know, David, where we match the income up to sixteen thousand dollars? So this so this is incentiv- the earned income. So we're incentivizing right them to, to work. Okay, go right. ahead. Sorry. But again, right? You know what you're doing is you're saying, oh, if you if you earn a certain amount, you're not going to get this benefit, right? Um, and so again, it's kind of forcing people to say, oh, okay, I shouldn't earn more than this amount, or I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't earn money, right? And so what if we what if we reversed it? What if it what if you what if you reversed? I mean, I don't like the idea at all. I can't believe you got me in the conversation. But what if we reversed it and we and we did um uh you make sixteen thousand dollars, you get an extra thousand dollars in a job. You make thirty thousand dollars, you get an extra five thousand dollars. And we just encourage people to make more money. And then and then that goes up, up, up until some point, until you get to a hundred thousand dollars, then you get the sixteen thousand dollars. I'm just how how are you going to stop people from not just taking this money and doing like like if I'm if I'm a 21 year old kid and I get six and I'm like so excited I turn 21 I start getting sixteen thousand dollars a year what I'm going to do is I'm going to buy a VW bus and just cruise around the country. Okay, so so do that for a while. I mean, I just so I I, I guess. Part of it. I'm going to buy a lot of weed and live in my mom's basement. I mean, well, but then your mom knows. Your mom knows you're getting this money, right? And maybe your mom will say, "Well, you know, you're living in my basement. I'm going to charge you rent, right?" And I like, okay, okay. You know, and so I mean, so so, you know, I get a lot of complaints about this idea, (laughs) but and from both sides, right? Right. Isn't it? Isn't it socialism? Isn't it? Um, isn't it socialism to be doing that? It's um, it's less socialism than we're doing now, right? I mean, because you kind of compare I, it with the I, system. We've I now. agree. I, I agree. Right. So it, so imagine if we if we just phased out all these programs, right, and just turned it into a tax cut, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so then what you'd have is you know the people that would benefit the most are the ones that are earning the most money, right? Um, the people at the bottom, you know, they would they would get nothing, right? Um, and you know, I think there's a certain case to be made that, based on the fact of your of birth, things that you can't control, um, some people are in a better position than other people, right? You know, some people have parents that have wealth um, that can, you know, they can kind of finance their children as they're trying to make their way uh, when they're young, and some people don't. I mean, I, I kind of feel like we should we should give everybody kind of a level playing field, equal opportunity on that, right? And and that it's not as if we're we're trying to um, engineer their lives, right? That's that's the problem I, that I see. You know, you you put in these restrictions, it's handing responsibility again to the, to the federal government to manage people's lives and tell them what they should be doing, what they shouldn't be doing. Whereas I really believe in this individual responsibility where everybody should be on an equal footing in terms of their individual choices. And, and this also means, you know, I'm getting rid of the social security system, right? So that people need to be thinking about their retirement and they mm. need to be thinking about it on their own because basically that money is supposed to be for their retirement. I and mean, that's the money that if they invest it, you know, every year for their retirement, they'll have a great retirement, right? Um, I'm also, you know, part of that, I mean, I think what we want to do is we earmark something like $4,000 a year of that for a health insurance voucher, right? So that would replace Medicare and Medicaid uh, where everybody's gonna have kind of 
um, health insurance, but it'll be private. It'll all be private. Um, 4,000 a year, it'll give you like a catastrophic plan, right? Um, and, you know, $8,000 deductible, um, where again, you're kind of responsible for that, that first part, you know, you can pay more if you wanted to get a better plan, but you know, what that creates also is it creates this huge market, um, for healthcare where it's just doctors and patients relating to each other and, and doctor charges patient, patient pays, right? And we're getting back to a more of a, a free market system that way. Um, let me ask you, let me ask you this. How do you, um, you, you said it gets everyone on equal footing and I, I struggle with, um, th there's two things that, um, uh, two things I'm struggling with. On one hand, you're saying that, um, we, we, we shouldn't be using equity. We should be using equality. And yet you're also using this term, like get everyone on, on fair footing. But I also don't believe in this idea of, I think privilege is a, um, is a, snake oil salesman's word for what we determined as culture because i don't think your privilege matters relative to your habits right and so like look what happened to hunter poor, poor hunter biden right born into absolute privilege and he's just completely ruined his life i mean he, he's probably not a happy man right mm -hmm. uh, and, and yet he has access to wealth beyond you know most of us how, how are you, you don't think that maybe you're just um my 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 listeners my crowd is a very conservative crowd and they're very christian i am not christian like one of the things i'm still very pro-choice even though i do believe that abortion is is just um word fuckery for killing a baby like i can see both sides right i really mm -hmm. i think it is killing a baby mm -hmm. um you don't think that maybe you and, and so my my listeners accuse me of still having that liberal disease. Mm -hmm. do, do you think that maybe you're it, it, there's any chance David Pan is still trying to navigate these liberal roots by doing this? Like maybe you're still attached to this, like. Or, or, or do you logically think that this is the way out? Um. So do you see what I'm saying there? And I'm accused of it by my, my audience yeah. is just always being like, Oh, seven, we still have hope for you. We won't give up. But you're <laughs> I'm like, all right, all right. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, um, maybe, maybe I have that. Um, but I, I do think logically it is a good way because, you know, what Would you want to get them off of that? Would you want to get them off of that eventually? Would we want to win that over the next 200 years or no? Well, no, so so the, the idea is that we've got right now we've got this. I mean, we've got a social security system, right? Mm -hmm. That provides for people when they're not working, when they're older, right? Yes, sir. Um, and it's also a system that kind of takes away the responsibility that people have for saving for their retirement. And I'm saying no, people should have that responsibility, and they should, you know, we've got the system now, so we can we can adjust it so that people just get this cash with the idea they're supposed to be investing that for their return, they're supposed to be saving. And that'll be on them what kind of retirement they have, right? Um, but more than that, it's bringing people right now, you know, we, we talked about the the um, the homeless and the drug addicts. Um, we're bringing them into the system. We're saying, look, you've got a stake in the system now. You're getting like, basically you're getting $1,000 a month, right? It's not really enough you know, to have a, a good life, but you can kind of get by, right? Um, but it's also something that you can lose too, right? I mean, you know, clearly this this would be a way if if, if you've if you've got a uh, a deadbeat dad, right, um, 
who owes child support, you can tap that money, right, to to have that person pay child support. Uh, all of a sudden, they've got something to lose. They're they're going to clean oh. up their act, right? Mm. They're going to say, "Oh, if I father a child without you know you know without wanting to, um, I'm going to face some consequences to that, right?" There's a I think there's just lots of effects in terms of promoting individual responsibility once people have this sort of basic stake in the system and, and it's getting them into the system and it's it's fostering a kind of yeah individual responsibility on everybody because they've got this this stake so i mean i do think logically it works out i mean i think it, it, it is in in some sense it is a kind of form of social engineering but again it's thinking through people not as if they were machines but really as if they were living things um that um yeah that respond to certain incentives and you want to promote and, and create the conditions for them to thrive right and so say that last statement again it's responding to responding to people as living things say that part again because that kind of ties into what you were saying at the very beginning of the show basically right. you want to incent you want to put the cheese in the right spot in the maze so that they go that way right but it's 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 more than that it's it's really setting up the whole maze in a certain way right so that you know so that um you know i, I guess i i do believe that that people left to themselves want meaning in their lives they want responsibility they want right. to be able to achieve things right it's, well it's where happiness is it's where happiness is yes, just like no right? one no one wants to be a drug addict either exactly right yeah and yeah. so um you want to set up a system that that promotes that right and part of Part of that kind of system is individual responsibility, right? Um, and part of that system is individual freedom. And so, you know, you know, the reason that I think that the universal basic income is the way to go on that is because it's the maximum of individual responsibility and freedom. Because if you once you start putting restrictions on the money, you're taking away that freedom, and and you're, you're saying that relative. When you say that, though, you're saying that relative to the spending we have now. Exactly. You're, right. You're making that's a presupposition that that's okay. That that spending will always be done. Well, as opposed look, to someone like some other politician might be just be like, "Hey, let's just." And sorry to call you a politician. Someone else might just say, "Hey, let's just turn off all the spigots." Right. Or let's keep well, let's or or let's keep the current system, but just put it just make it diff harder barriers to jump through to get these resources. Right. But see again, see all the all the barriers and stuff. That's just more and more government intervention in people's lives. Right. Right. And that's, I hate that. That's You're the right. thing. You, you just got to right. get rid of that. Right. Right. And so, those are all. <clears throat> I consider all those people on the welfare state. By the way, all the employees of the U.S. government, I consider them as just welfare recipients. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree with you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. So you, the only way to get rid of that is by getting rid of all the restrictions because the restrictions, every restriction is another government employee or a whole, a whole slew of government employees that are somehow, you know, watching over those, those rules. Right. And it's just, that's just undermining everything. And so that's the first priority is to get rid of all of these government agencies that are managing people, trying to micromanage people's lives. Right. And we can't do that on a massive scale unless we, basically dissolve all of these different programs. And then, 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 you know, then you've got this, it's like $5 trillion a year. Right? Um, wow. What are you going to do with that money? Right? Well, obviously you can just, you know, make it, make it into a tax cut for everybody. Right. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think, I think that's not, 
I mean, by, by, by structuring it as a universal basic income, I mean, again, it works out as a tax cut for a lot of people, right? Um, but maybe it needs to be rebranded. Well, maybe, maybe it needs to be rebranded, but I mean, I, I don't think every think time you say it, I just, I just hear, um, uh, drug money. It, it sucks. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I apologize. Well, I just see this I mean, as just, uh, p- people going to the liquor store and buying alcohol. Yeah. But see, that's, I think, I think, and I apologize for that. I, 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 I want to hear you out. Actually, I, I think that, that you don't have enough faith in people. Okay. Um, Okay. And, and I do. I have faith in people that um, that the things they want are fundamentally good things that they want ultimately, and they get into I, the I, I, I agree. I agree. And, I'm just talking about it based on the on the already consumption of those things today. Well, I, but see, but again, I think that the the reason that that type of behavior exists is because of the way this money is structured. Again, okay. you have okay. to think through that the money that we're giving out right now, mm-hmm. it's premised on the idea of not working, of not developing assets. It's it's undermining people's faith in themselves, and it's leading them into that kind of depressive situation. I get that. I just don't get how making them responsible for this lump sum. Anyway, let me let me um, let me. Pivot just really quick. Okay, I've had you so long, and I appreciate it. Um, uh, um, what? Tell me about the border. What are your What are your thoughts on the border? Well, I mean, I think clearly we need to secure the border. I mean, there's no question about that. I mean, you can't have you can't have a country uh, without a border, right? Um, and but on the other hand, I think we need to have some kind of sane immigration policy, right? And so, you know, we, you know, obviously we need to set up both of those. We need to have a secure border um, and, you know, whatever, you know, I, I mean, I think just people need to think through, well, what, what's necessary for a secure border and what are the policies that we want to, in, to establish to, to make, you know, immigration possible and productive for everybody, right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's the short answer. Would you, would you say... Um... So would you say that it's it's catastrophic right now down there? Like, oh yeah. Like my I mean, kids can't literally. go to school unless they take drugs. They have to take drugs that are mandated by the U.S. government, and yet these people are coming in. And, and my kids don't take the drugs, but um, and yet these people are being coming across the border, and they're not required to take those same drugs. Yeah. Right. No, it's it's insane, and they're getting in California. They're getting um, free healthcare too. Yeah, that's absolutely nuts. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, the next thing, um, what do you think about censorship? Uh, someone with an enormous YouTube channel um, in my community yesterday had his YouTube channel taken away. He had Dr. Uh, Huberman from Stanford on and then another doctor who was um, uh, some sort of expert in, um, in, in uh, health issues around the sun. And he had them on as guests and he was asking them questions. And basically it's what it sounds like is his YouTube pulled down their video or it pulled down their entire channel because he said that they weren't off. That channel wasn't authorized to talk about um, these things. Hmm. Uh, I, I yeah. find, and, and then we also have this other law in California that Newsom passed. I don't know where we are right now with it, but where you can't get a second opinion outside of the state's stance on COVID. That passed last year. I think that that's probably going to end up going to the Supreme Court. But are you familiar? Are you familiar with that law that passed like a year or two ago? No, I, I'm not actually. 
Oh, yeah, that's really outrageous. I mean, yeah, yeah, basically, a doctor can lose their license if they give you an opinion about COVID that contradicts or goes doesn't line up with the state stance on COVID. So, if a doctor, if the state stance was um, uh, saying that you should take the injection, and a doctor said, "Hey, I don't think you should take it because of these reasons," um, the doctor could lose their license. Do you have any? Are, are you concerned with the censorship that's going on in the United oh, States? Oh yeah, no, it's, it's, yeah. it's, 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 I mean, like I said, you know, it's kind of partly how I got into politics, right? I mean, it's, you know, just within my, I mean, you know, it, it's kind of low stakes what I do. I mean, I, I write about German literature, right? Mm -hmm. um, but even there, I mean, I, you know, I've been running into all these problems about, um, you know, getting my stuff out and, and it's just, it's, it's, uh, you know, there's just such an orthodoxy now that's been cemented into our bureaucracies um, that it's it's yeah it's suppressing free debate and and uh, and and free expression. Yeah, it's I no I I totally agree with you on this. Um, there's a it's complicated though because uh, on the one hand I'm you know totally for free speech against any kind of censorship. Um, on the other hand, the universities. It's not. It's there's there's two issues. There's freedom of speech and there's academic freedom, and there's a difference between the two. Freedom of speech, everybody gets to say what they want to say, right? Uh, academic freedom has to do with um, who the university hires and what kinds of restrictions they can set up on the type of work they do, right? Now let me give you a, a really clear example, right? So Thank you. you know, we 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 hire in people that do medical research, right? And the, and the purpose of the medical research is to save human lives, right? But there's clearly possibilities for doing medical research, like, you know, uh, bioweapons that you can be doing research to, to harm people, right? Um, and it's, the university certainly has the right to forbid that kind of research and to say, we're not going to hire in anybody that's going to be creating viruses that'll that'll, you know, that'll wipe out humanity. Yeah. Right. Um, and that's an issue of academic freedom. Right. Now, when you move into other issues like affirmative action, right. So people have been hiring in people, you know, social scientists that promote affirmative action. Right. And there, I think, yes. I mean, I think there can be, there should be some kind of restrictions on academic freedom there um, that align with kind of um, social political priorities that we have, right? That, you know, we don't want researchers researching how to, um, you know, wipe out humanity, uh, but we also don't want people to, to be supporting um, uh, policies that would be creating more discrimination. So that's a, that's a difficult line. I mean, in, in terms of how you're gonna, how you're gonna manage that. But I mean, I think that there's a responsibility um, just as in medicine, in other disciplines to be thinking through, well, what are our values and how are we going to align our values with what we're promoting in terms of our, our faculty and our, our research and our teaching? So I don't know. If oh, boy, that, that's, that's a, um, that's a, God, that's such a, that's a real, that's, that's a really intense discussion. Yeah. But it's let, a let's say, let, let's say it's someone a, was doing a let's say someone was doing a study on brains, and they wanted to categorize it by um, race, and they wanted to be and they wanted to make some sort of statement like that um, Ashkenazi Jews had the most brain cells than Chinese, um, than Black people, 
and then Hispanic people or something like that. But they did the research, right? This would be some sort – and it was under some sort of um, – uh, with, done with scientific rigor, right, in, yeah. in protocols. But then someone could say, hey, you can't do that. You're promoting racism. It just seems like such a slippery slope. Right, it is. But I mean, these put, are decisions. Put, that are, put, yeah, go ahead. I, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know where to put the rules are, but but it, there's there's way too many rules already on what you yeah. can and can't say or do. So, and, and I know we're kind of, it's interesting to see you play. You, you have a pretty, um, you play both sides. It's because, do you know what I mean by that? Not that you're um, disingenuous. I'm not suggesting that at all, but but. You you want to move the goal line, but maybe you don't want to move it all the way, right? Um, you know what I'm there's, seeing, there's, is that, and I guess you started the conversation saying that you do. There is a role for government. There is a role for rules. Yeah, right. And that's it's that's what structures our lives, right? I mean, you have to have. If you don't have a government, you're just going to have, you know. The, the war of all against all, basically, right? You, yeah. You know, stateless situation is is a bad situation, right? So you need to have a state. You have, need to have a government because it establishes the ground rules for, you know, for for civilized behavior, right? Um, and and it and it sets up structures that allow for, you know, for market competition, right? You can't have market competition until you have um, political stability, right? And that's what the government gives you, right? Uh, but it also gives you these these types of ground rules, right? That that uh, you know that would disallow discrimination, which is our government is not doing properly right now. Um, but that's that's that would be a ground rule, right? I mean, certainly you have governments that that clearly favor discrimination, right? Uh, yeah, partly yeah, ours, sure. but there's much more egregious cases, obviously, all over the world, right? Um, and so. You know, th you know th there's a role for that. But again, you know, getting back to this university example, these are decisions that are being made every day about who gets hired, what kind of research they're doing, you know, what kind of research they shouldn't be doing, right? But I think we need to be much more cognizant as a society about those decisions and understand that these are consequential decisions um, and they cannot be left to the professors themselves, mm. right? You do need somebody from the outside to be um, aligning the values at the university with values that that we hold the people, right? By the way, that that that's also what happened with COVID. We let the doctors make the decisions when the doctors should not have been making the decisions. They should have just been giving us the information, and then people exactly. who have uh, an idea who are who are more. Uh, have a better perspective on um, civilization and the operations of civilization, make that de decision. Shutting down society for two years is a horrible idea. But right. if you're a doctor yeah. and you're just looking just down this funnel, you might think it's a good idea. Right. Exactly. So this is, this is kind of what, what I'm talking about is, is yeah. that by, by ceding control over these kind of value decisions to researchers and, and experts, you know, um, we, we've, we've undermined our, in, in a lot of ways, we've undermined our, our liberal democratic values, um, because we're we're essentially kind of saying, oh, it's the it's the experts that ex experts should that should rule over us. I mean, that's that's not that's not the way our, our government should be working. I um I heard an interview the other day. Um, it was on CNN, and it was with Joy Reid, and she was in, she was interviewing a lady who's trying to get these books taken out of a school that um, talked about a child being sodomized and raped with a dildo and all this stuff. And Joy Reid said to this lady, what makes you an expert 
to say that this book shouldn't be in elementary schools when this is an award-winning book. And so for some reason, award-winning literature is the, ba is, the, is the basis for allowing books that are inappropriate for kids to be in kids' schools and that a parent's own discernment doesn't uh, take a priority over that. I mean, it, it, is, it is insane. They're, they're not even they're not even hiding anymore. That's the interesting thing. Also, the, the racism isn't even being hidden anymore. It's just overt. We are. Do you ever feel like we're dealing with crazy people like they can't even say, I know we're being racist, but but we but we do think it's the best way moving forward. Like, do you ever feel like that there's just a, a dishonesty from the left of, of what the actual facts are? I think there's a kind of um, delusion, I think. Um, there's, I mean, you know, um, it's, un, it's, it's, un, it's, un, it's unsettling a little bit. It is. Um, like they want to win instead of get to what's best or what's right. Well, I, I do think a lot of them do think that this is what's best and what's right. Um, and it's part of the delusion and, and it's part of, um, you know, there's this um, there's this idea this this idea of paradigm. You know, Thomas Kuhn has this idea about scientific revolutions and paradigms, and how in a particular discipline you can get stuck in a particular paradigm. You know, like thinking that the uh, um, that the Earth revolves around the Sun right, versus the Sun revolving around the Earth. Right? Um, those two, you know, the, whatever Copernicus and Ptolemy. Right? There was this paradigm, and people just think in terms of that paradigm, and they don't question it. Right. You know, it's just like they're saying, oh, well, of course, the sun goes around the earth. Right. Why would you ever question that? And so I think that's where they're at. They're in this kind of delusion of this sort of it is a kind of scientific paradigm that they have um, because it's 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 reinforced by all their scientific studies. In fact, you know, that they have this premise in these in, uh, in a lot of this social science uh, and humanities research about the way racism is or works or you know this idea of, of systemic racism for instance that's this is this this really it's this horrible concept that they have today uh about you know we were talking about before about you know how um there's a sort of somehow there's because because things work out that more people in a particular race in a particular profession in a particular profession that that must mean there's a there's a systemic racism in the system that's causing that. But it's 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 a totally absurd notion, really. Um, but they don't see that. They don't. They're they're they've got this sort of um, disciplinary bias in a sense. Um, it, it comes from this whole expert culture that's kind of driven this in themselves, and they've driven themselves into this kind of rut, and they they can't see beyond. You what do you what do you think um growing up in the bay area you know i i've been to m many um handful of plays throughout my life where um uh women are played by men i would go to the city and watch you know and and i and i would go to the gay pride parade and you know being growing up in the bay area in san francisco and berkeley i'd seen you know i'd seen it all right and i and i enjoyed just the eclecticness and wildness of the bay area and the freedom right and this is going along those lines of just taking things too far and no one has anything wrong. I've never heard anyone say anything bad about cross-dressing men or, 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 or anything like that. And then all of a sudden we have this movement where men who want to dress up as women are somehow the token person who should be reading to our children in public libraries across the country. And I'm thinking to myself, 
why don't we have Navy SEALs reading to our kids in public? Why didn't that take off? Or why don't we have um, immigrants reading, like uh, uh, successful immigrants reading to our kids in public libraries? Or why don't we have just Amish women, you know what I mean? Reading <laughs> to women. How did we get to this place where the preferred person to have a reading hour and libraries across, across the country are men who have an unquenchable desire to dress as women and read to our kids. And at that point, I think, uh-oh, they're not some, – someone's not thinking correctly anymore. It's like, it's like you said. They just got into this rut of defending this certain group of people by any means necessary. Yeah. And, um, and, and I'm just like there's um, – it's not like that it's it's not there are bound there are boundaries yeah i mean you know one cynical way of thinking about it is that you know these all these 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 organizations before that were working for equality for everybody right uh -huh. you know uh anti-discrimination you know once they achieved what they wanted they still had this whole organizational institutional framework mm. they still wanted to do something with it right and so they're going to continue on this this path in order to have something to do otherwise they should dismantle themselves right right um, yeah that's another concern by the way the the homeless economy is wild the yeah. homeless economy is wild yeah right yeah right. And especially in places like seattle i think it's over a billion dollars yeah right and it comes right it comes what? through federal funding state funding right and it's just yeah it's a gravy train for people right for these a lot of these nonprofits and stuff and you know they're all kind of hooked into this whole system and this is this is again this is the, i mean the easiest way to 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 dismantle it is to just dismantle it um but you, you can't dismantle it um i think practically speaking without thinking through some kind of alternative right so anyway um, um david do you have a chance of winning uh i think i do um, yeah. I, uh, you know, nobody, nobody else thinks I do, uh, <laughs> but you know, cause it's, uh, you know, the last, uh, the last election, 2022, uh, the Democrat won 62% to 38% uh, to the Republican. Uh, but that, that, that candidate, that Republican candidate effectively did, did, did not campaign. Right. And so, um, so I've been, you know, I've been knocking on doors. I've been walking the streets and talking to people and I get a really good response. Um, it and so. Is I, it I happening? Is it when, when I look online, it do, it does look like um, Hispanics and blacks are, are, are moving to the right. Like they're like, oh, like they're, they're, they have some very practical, logical things they want from the government that they know aren't being fulfilled. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's especially working class people, working families who are, are not poor. I mean, not totally poor, but struggle to just kind of stay in place and they're not rich, obviously, um, they really are kind of fed up with this. I mean, the, what, what, what we've been talking about in terms of the, the DEI and the welfare system and stuff like that, um, they're fed up with that. And so I've been, I've been seeing that. And so I, I think I have, I have a good chance. Um, we'll see. Um, uh, but it'll take, you know, what, what it'll take is, is, is knocking on lots of doors, right. And, and getting yeah. volunteers to help me to do that, to get my message out because, Republicans just haven't addressed uh, the people in this district for a long time. And so they've just kind of lost hope. Um, and so I'm trying to give that hope back. Awesome.
Hey, thank you so much for coming on. Great to meet you. Um, I'll definitely be watching. I'm excited for you. Thank you for everything you're doing. Thank you for uh, letting us, uh, dedicating your big brain to uh, helping society and pushing things forward. You're a good dude, man. I'm really thank glad you to so much, you, David. Yeah, yeah. Thank you absolutely. so much for having me on. Yeah, uh, anytime. All right. Thank you, David. All right. Take care. Bye. Have a great day. Ciao. David Pan. That was good for me. Challenge you a little bit. Good. What? Challenge you a little bit. W well, I, I'm, I'm just not going to find um, uh, um, Jesus isn't running for president. So, <laughs> so you know what I mean? So it's like, um, it's like the people who are like, well, don't forget that Donald Trump was the one who made the vaccine. You know what I mean? And, and like, they're looking for like someone who did everything perfect. And it's like, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I cannot stand the thought of universal basic income, but I, but I really like that guy. And on, on the topic of what's going on at the university, I mean, if he can fix that, I think that's, if we can just get some people who aren't virtue signaling racist into the, into the educational system, it'd be awesome. It would, I mean, that would be, I mean, those are the people teaching the future. Those are the people teaching our kids. I really enjoyed him. That went way better than I thought. I don't think I said fuck once. What's a carpetbagger? I don't know. I learned that term in high school. They're calling this liberal outlet calls him a carpetbagger. It's a Irvine Republican carpetbagger to challenge Representative Correa for Congress. Um, liberal OC this is the name of the outlet challenging Orange County's right wing noise machine. Um, Look up carpetbagger. Hey, you know what else I like? I like the I like I know this is pretty superficial, but I like the way he looks. Yeah, I mean he he's easy to talk to. He seems welcoming. He's not like a he doesn't have like a hardened. I like his face and I like his body. He just he looks just like a like a good dude, and he's well thought out. And he I think he he cares. It's not easy what he's doing. There's only two. They're like, like you have to be up for the fight. Damn. So they came down here. They got the bat. I told. I said, don't let the kids come down here, please. I'm doing a podcast. All the kids came down here, and then they fucking left the door open, and it's freezing. Carpetbagger, a political candidate who seeks election in an area where they have no local connections. A person from the northern states who went to the south after the Civil War to profit from the Reconstruction. A person perceived as unscrupulous opportunist. Wow, what scumbags! I don't get any of that from him. Yeah, not at all. I don't get any of that from him. Yeah, that I, mean, I think that's a good takeaway too. He believes in humanity. Yeah, I like his face. I like his face. I like what comes out of it. I've seen pictures of his body. I like his body. I like the way he stands. I like his posture. I like his his uh, speaking cadence. I like his the tone. I don't even know what tone means, but I, whatever I think it means, I like that part of it. Excuse me. Yeah, he's cool. Hey, I listened to some other shit that he's he says too. I couldn't even understand half of it. He he's like some he talks like Greg sometimes. Like just like there'd be like twelve words in a row. I don't know the meaning of. Them. They're all just one right after another. I'm like whoa 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 whoa. <laughs> 
<clears throat> got that vibe to him for sure. When I started reading I through that Telos Telos news outlet, yeah, lost. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not up there super. Yet. Yeah, it's crazy big brain shit. It's crazy. When he said it's not, I, I listened to some uh, Telos um, talks yesterday, and I'm like, well, that's why it's not popular because it's fucking dense. Uh, universal basic income is trippy because it sounds somewhat logical at the service level. I I don't. Here's the thing. It has the presupposition that you need. He had the presupposition, and we and he obviously admitted it that that money's going to be spent no matter what. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and I don't I don't I don't agree with that. I think it. I I'm think you have sure to turn the spigot off. Really, I think you have to turn start turning the spigot off because I, I I think it goes against what he's saying before. Like it doesn't motivate people, dude. I got sixteen thousand dollars when I turned twenty one. Hey, do you think that you would have gone into the military if they had given you $16,000 when you turned 21 or 18 or whatever? Um, sure. I had already like been trajectory making... for a lot of people. Yeah. No, I, I probably would have still done it, but cause I was, I had already had jobs before that. So I kind of understood like that you need to do that. You can't just rely on somebody else to give you money. So I would have got a job. I would have got a job, bought a fucking dope, some sort of dope camper, and then just take my money and cruise around and bang chicks. I think I might still do that. <laughs> Except for the last part. Just one. Singular. Uh, <clears throat> Judy Reed, uh, you handled the part where you didn't agree so well. Very respectful. Yeah, I'm cool. I'm a cool dude. Got squirrely when that bat showed up. Yeah. Uh, Sevon, origin story of the landscape artwork that calls out all the buckets of death if i remember correctly it was like cartoon art uh you the stuff on the chalkboard that was all greg's idea we we had this guy there was this guy dude he was the former art director over at the ufc he's such a stud oh my god and he lost like this this he lost like 60 or 100 pounds or something and he came to work for crossfit even though he had this killer job at the ufc because he wanted to have like more meaning in his life so he comes to CrossFit and he and he starts working there and he becomes the art director there. I worked very closely with him, obviously. He worked for me. And he was probably the most talented person we had working at CrossFit. And he drew those on there. But you know what's crazy is he came there and then all of a sudden the whole fucking media team got fired, basically, except for him and like two other dudes. And it fucking and I think he still works there. He's such a good dude. What he's a mega talent. Mega, mega, mega talent. His uh, Mexican dude, maybe even born in Mexico, uh, Eric Eric Diaz. Crazy talented, crazy talented. I mean, like stupid. Like if you saw this guy do Photoshop or After Effects, it would blow you away. Blow you away on on a whole nother level. Smart too. Can critique. Can direct. Can mentor he could he i wonder what he's up to he was dope he had a big fucking crazy handlebar mustache he had a, he had a, he had a kind of a funny accent he talked like a foreigner a beautiful wife beautiful kid maybe kids two kids daughter and son i think one of his kids maybe played the violin yeah that dude was cool as shit i wonder what happened to him what a, what a shitty fucking thing to happen, right? You're the art director of the UFC doing all this cool shit, come to CrossFit because you really want to like help humanity and just not watch dude, gay dudes beat each other to death in their fucking bikini bottoms, and then the fucking whole team around you gets fucking fired. 
Holy shit. Holy shit. He could do anything. Yeah, yeah, he I uh he did the new games logo. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. He could do everything. Whoever did the new games logo is a G. That the, the fact that it looks like Glock is fucking wild. It's finally not like Atari 1970s. I never really liked it when I was there. Although it made cool sounds when it moved around. All right. Uh, Kyra Milligan and then... Um, and then uh, oh, tomorrow, Jimmy Letchford, the president of GORUCK. That's cool. That's an old friend. I used to hang with Jimmy a bunch. Uh, then Wednesday, Greg Glassman, staying at his house. That should be easy. Uh, Thursday, Dale Saran, Saran. That's going to be cool. I don't know if you guys remember. That's the guy I've had on the show a bunch, um, attorney. He crashed a few helicopters. He's a LARPer. He's What's that? Live action role play. Dresses up in night armor and fights people. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's like a furry, but he, instead of like doing furry shit, yeah, no. oh, I'm going to ask him that. I'm going to compare him to a furry. I think we got this guy coming on who trains with Pool Boy too. He's an HWPO guy, Rafa. Rafa something. That's going to be an interesting story. I think that dude's got a crazy story, how he got into the country. Uh, yeah, so you know, does Greg have a gym in that um, 11 or 12,000 square foot? Yes. There's a crazy the the garage is dope. There's a little skateboard ramp in there, beautiful. Um, but it's so I went in there yesterday to work out. So fucking have you ever worked out and your ears start hurting and and, and it hurts for like 30 minutes? You think you're gonna fucking go crazy? Yeah. Like it's I was cold on, or like just from the workout I, itself. I was on uh, he has a um not an assault bike, but like some other brand. Schwinn Airdyne? Schwinn Airdyne. And it blows so much cold air. I can't even believe it's real. It needs to be covered. It's unfucking usable. And it was blowing on me. And I was just doing 20 cals, 10 push-ups, 5 pull-ups. And I, I, I made it to uh, 160 um, uh, calories, like what the eighth round. And I had to stop. My, my head was throbbing from the cold air because the garage is freezing. And when I mean freezing, I mean... It, no, it's 20, probably freezing up there. Yeah. 20 degrees. Oh, it was, I was completely bundled up. I should have worn a hat. What is the, how do you work out in the cold? Do you have to wear a hat? I, I should have covered my ears. Uh, sweaty, uh, sweater and sweatpants usually is what I'm doing. You don't cover your head? Uh, no. I, I wore usually socks. I, I wore yeah. socks. It was crazy. I've, I've never, like, that was nuts to me. I was wearing socks. I, I threw away all my long socks when I was in Virginia. And I just had ankle socks. And then I had to like scrounge through all my boxes to try to find long socks when I moved back here because my ankles get cold. Oh, oh. I got a cool pair of OG socks from Chase and uh, Bill. Victim. Yeah, I was a victim victim of the cold. Damn, I was a victim of the cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, so cover the ears. Okay. Yeah, it, this headache, this like pain set in for 30 minutes. I went and I was kind of writhing a little bit on the floor as being a little bitch. But I came downstairs to my room and my wife's like, what's wrong? I'm like, dude, my, and, my, and I'd heard my son 
on cold mornings when I would take him skateboarding, complain about his ears hurting and he'd cry a little. And I'm like, what a pussy. Well, <laughs> you guys, I, I should take you guys outside to see the, um, um, can you send me a link in the text? Sure. Oh, I could send myself a link. Um, invite copy. I'll take you guys outside here. Are you sending it? I'll just send it to the... Oh, you're a good dude. Let me see. I'm going to remove this dude. Allow access to my... Allow. Savon. Enter studio. I'll show you what's going on. So I, I just I walked. Let me show you a little broader perspective. So this is. That's the setup. Wow! Nice. Right. Sweet. Can you can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. And so the bat was down here cruising around on the ground, but then. Oh, holy shit! It's cold. Holy shit! It's freezing. This place is so. I've never been in a house like this. This place is so massive. And there's a dock Man. down there normally in the summer, but it's gone. And then there's like an elevator that comes up to the. Oh, you're kind of breaking up. It's completely quiet out here. What'd you say? I'm breaking up. A little bit. Oh, shit. But you could see that, right? The lake. Yep. That looks beautiful. Wow. Yeah, it's nuts. So it's basically this. Oh, oh. I don't know how many stories the house is. Maybe it's four. Um, Massive log. Oh, that, that, yeah, it's massive. It's a massive, massive, massive uh, log cabin. Oh, did I turn? Oh, thank, thank you. Let's see if I can close this thing. If I hit end, will that end the show? Just leave. It should be leave studio on your phone. I don't see it. I just swipe up. Bam. There, it works. House doesn't even look that nice. <laughs> Mid. Dude, it's so crazy. All the doors are like eight feet tall. Every floor has 10 foot ceilings. Doors are all thick as shit. Washers and dryers all over the place. Damn. By fireplaces. It's uh, the heated floors. Um, Whoa. Dude, it's... I have this whole floor to myself. It's massive. This room, I'm... This floor is bigger than my entire house. I mean, by far. And just me and my kids and my wife on it. It's not on a street. It's on a lake. The place is so isolated that when they built it, they had to bring in... They brought. They had to bring everything by barge, right? So they brought everything in. The whole this whole house was built, wow. it, and it's it's all logs that are massive. It's just built with all logs. 
on a steel steel and concrete foundation and frame it's wild i asked greg i'm like could they build this today he's like no they would not build something like this today i think the owner of popeye's chicken built it whoa and nowadays yeah, it's all like brutalistic art architecture it's just like squares and whatever's easiest to put together this was not easy yeah this is crazy and i think there's something about the way the logs are stacked so that there's no uh Whatever. There's no gaps in it. There's it's basically there's, like, there's not problem. even any screws. They're all cut and laid. And they're huge. They're the biggest logs you've ever seen. They're massive. It's a trip. A uh, polar plunge. Oh god, dude. I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can do that. Oh. Okay. Anything else? Who, who did I say we have tomorrow? Jimmy? Oh, yeah, Jimmy Lefford. Oh, that's cool. Okay. Let's see if I have anything fun in my notes here. Finish the show with something fun. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel. Buy a t-shirt from Vindicate. Yeah. Use code yeah. Sevon. See yeah. if peptides use code Sevon. Paper Street coffee all of it there was this doctor friend of mine about a year and a half ago i was talking to him about emily rolf and the other guy and somehow we'd come up to this onto the subject of cancer too and he joked around and he goes what so you believe in turbo cancers and like he i didn't i'd never heard that term before now that term is everywhere. Turbo cancers. Have you heard that term? Yeah, I think you brought it up. Still not super sure I understand it, though. Just like... Yeah, I, I don't understand it at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right, what do you guys want to do? Go back to work? Go back to sleep? Uh... Ken Walters, Patrick Vellner says media doesn't know anything. It's a great answer. Where was he? Did he just do an interview recently? I think he was on Coffee Pods and Wads. Recently? Yeah, he did that. Uh, oh, 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 the whiteboard. show. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, four days ago they had it. Maybe that's what he was talking about. Oh, when is episode six coming out? What's today? Monday. Oh, shit. It's supposed to come out today. Good thing you guys are members. Jesus Christ. Uh, let me call Patrick. Re uh, I don't know who to call anymore. I don't know who the fuck's in charge. Hold on. Let me uh, Let me call Sousa. Hold on. Just call him. My... That's a great question. Jesus criminy. Dude, you guys are going to have a blast with episode six. It's wild. It's the longest one so far. Yeah. It's really good. I could just make it public right now. I can. I have the ability to go back there and just make it public. You want me to put it for members only right now? Yeah. Do you, you know how to do all that too? Yeah, I guess, mm -hmm. of course. Probably better than I do. You reach Matt. Yeah, is there any reason why we wouldn't? I don't think so. 
I think it's ready. Okay. Okay. All right. It's going to go on. Uh, if, you're, if you're a CEO member, if you're not, go ahead and subscribe, be a member, and then you can watch it. All right. Cool. It's up there. It's ready to be watched. Russian robot fighting gone wrong. Oh, there's no way that's real. Let me send you this. There's no way this is real. Do you think this is real? You guys are going to love episode six. Did you did you make I know that there's a bunch of them up there. Did you pick the right one? Yeah. The one that's doesn't say private copy. That's actually titled Behind the Scenes 2023 CrossFit Games Part Six. Alpaca oh, like Redux. Okay, look at this. There's no way this is right. This is real. That's not real, is it? No way. They'd kill people. There's no way that's real. Dude, that, that was crazy. All right, guys. Thank you. That was fun. Um, episode 6 is live. Go enjoy it. Uh, and I, I'm guessing tomorrow for members, uh, Wadapalooza will come out. Let me just check with Patrick Rios and see. I think, do you see it uploaded? I saw it taking forever to upload the other day. Do you see it in there? Uh, it looks like it's ready. I think it's uploaded. Yeah. Okay. Maybe we'll make that one available tonight. Dude, we're turning. This is, this is like, we're fucking crushing right now. Where would, where would I see it? Uh, should just oh, be just in videos. videos. Private copy, all access hopper or all access hopper pepper Gerard. Oh, wow. And it says unlisted. It's the very top one. Yep. That's the one. Crazy. Oh, look, it says monetization on. Oh, that's just to see if there's anything illegal in it. Right. Any copyrighted shit. Yeah, I think so. Once we let that go. Okay. Once we put that to members, we turn off the monetization. So they don't have to watch the commercials. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right, guys. Thank you. Uh, Caleb, thank you. Uh, see you guys tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Maybe we'll do another um, a pop-up show on Twitter today, too. All right. Bye-bye.